So we're going to continue in our series in Luke, Discipleship, and we're going to talk about the gospel. Imagine that. Okay. So again, the world is in flux. We've seen this, the riots and the murder of George Floyd, unrest around the elections, COVID, you know, all the fun things. And one other thing I'll mention today that maybe those of us that are the college students here may be aware of, that within the North American church, there's a lot of compromise of really believing the Bible and compromise of the biblical view of human sexuality. And that was, of course, one of the oblique concerns uh, in the election for those that work with uh, people that are wanting to overcome same-sex attraction. Anyway, um, so for college students here, your peers... Even some of your Christian peers are losing hold of the Bible as authority. And so we had to think about carefully how to respond to that and how to help people have a foundation in Christ. So Jesus, in the part that we're going to look at today and we'll be looking at in the weeks ahead, Jesus is, as Luke represents him, making disciples on the road to Jerusalem. All of 9 through 19, he's making disciples on the road to Jerusalem. So we too are going to make disciples on our road to the heavenly Jerusalem Our larger context this fall, we talked about Ephesians, that all are saved by grace, which means that all peoples have equal access to God in Christ, and that salvation, Ephesians teaches us, includes the healing of relationships that are broken, whether over race or politics or whatever it might be, that there's a healing of all relationships at the foot of the cross, and then moving to Luke To remind you of the larger context, Luke chapters 1 and 2, the mission foundation, the foundation of our mission is to receive and trust in God's grace. Luke 3 and 4, the preparation for our mission is to repent and be filled with the Spirit. And then Jesus models our mission in chapters 4 through 8. He models and teaches the kingdom of God. And then where we are now, 9 to 19, mission multiplication. So in Luke chapter 10, our focus today Jesus teaches us the gospel. So what does Jesus teach us about the gospel? Several aspects of the gospel. First, the simplicity of the gospel. Look at Luke chapter 10, and just read verses 1 through 9. Let it kind of wash over you. We won't do detail here, but just get a sense for the simplicity of the gospel. After this, after a little uh, discussion of the cross to following Jesus that we talked about last week, The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone along the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. That's kind of advice for their local ministry, how they did it. Verse 6, when you enter a town and are welcome, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Uh, But when you enter a house and are not welcome, go to its streets and say, even the dust of your town, the six to our feet, will wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would bless your word as we look at this morning. 
bless and refresh our souls in your gospel, your truth, and what our role is in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I meant to read through verses 1 through 9. Now, so Jesus, you know, we often talk about him training the 12, but here we learn that he trains more than the 12, 72 others. So in addition to the 12, maybe the 12 had some responsibility helping disciple them, kind of a multiplication model. That'd be good to keep in mind as we work with people. But this is a team of over 80 people. I mean, that's a YWAM base or a church, right? <laughs> it's a bunch of people that Jesus is working with. But notice a very straightforward ministry model. Verse 2, he says, pray. Right? Prayer is the foundation. Pray the, the Lord of the harvest. Verse 3, he says, I send you like lambs among wolves. In other words, hostility to the gospel is normal in every culture. You know, if we're not experiencing any opposition, it might be we've lost the truth of the gospel. Right? So it's a little hostility. Then he says, verse 6, look for a person of peace, someone open to ministry. By the way, interesting uh, aside, uh, George Floyd, those who knew him, uh, he's not a believer, but they do believe, and people will say down in Louisiana, he was a person of peace that opened the way for ministry uh, in the inner city area where he lived in, in uh, Donald, Louisiana. Uh, so people of peace, right? And then he says in verse 9, heal the sick. In other words, offer prayer and let God intervene, right? You don't have to prove anything. But if somebody's got a need, you say, hey, could I pray for you? Oh, sure. You don't, you know, no pressure on you. Let God do something, right? Prayer, okay? And then uh, verse 9, announce the gospel, right? The kingdom of God is near. Jesus died, and here's the gospel. Jesus died on the cross so you could be close to God. Now, you know, they need more later, but right? It's simple, right? Jesus died so we could be close to God. You want that? Yeah, I want that. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> you know, it's easy, right? So in other words, pray as a foundation. Be bold, because some people, won't, you know, they won't all love you. Look for people of peace, though. Look for the hungry, and then offer prayer and offer the gospel. That's our model. So just keep in mind that ministry is simple, right? Don't make it hard. And you know, I've done this. I'm a pastor and I'm a teacher type, right? You have training courses, right? Well, okay. Luke chapter 10, 1 to 9. That's the training course, okay? Just pray, be bold, offer prayer, offer the gospel. It's simple. We make it so hard. Simple ministry training. So the first thing that Jesus teaches us is the simplicity of the gospel. But there's another aspect that Jesus teaches. The second aspect that Jesus teaches is the centrality and the sobriety of the gospel. So it gets a little deeper here. Look at chapter 10, verse 10. I read it accidentally, but we'll read it again. When you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom, for Sodom, than that town. And then he goes on, woe to you, cries, and woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable 
For Tyre and Sidon at the judgment, then for you and you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the skies? No, you'll be go down to the depths. We'll, we'll pause on verse 16 here. The first five verses there, you know what he's saying, right? Those who reject the gospel face eternal judgment. We call hell sometimes. This is where the evangelical church is ceasing to be the evangelical church. This is one of the issues. That it's hard to believe this, isn't it? It's hard to say it. That those who reject the gospel face eternal judgment. It's a sober message, so we're tempted to soften hell. Now, Jesus doesn't address here, what about those who never heard? And that's another discussion. But rather, the real and present danger of those who reject what is so simple and so free, a message of grace and forgiveness. Well, why do they reject it? Look at verse 21. So, well, maybe I should read the rest here just to give you a feel here. We'll, we'll, and then we'll talk about it. Right? Verse 16, you know, he who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. That's a sober verse. We'll come back to that. But then the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Woo! I've, seen, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, you know, by the way, Luke's gospel, you know the differences in the gospels? Jesus has emotion in Luke. <laughs> and here is his most intense emotion just about on, on the joy side. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Filled with joy. How do we get in the kingdom? He says he reveals it to babes. In other words, those who, you know, the, the disciples are adults, right? But he's saying spiritually, those who receive in simple faith learn secrets of the kingdom. Simple trust. Humility and trust in God. And then ver verse 22 is another one that captured me this week. I believe it is. Yeah, all things have been committed to me by my Father or entrusted to me, could be translated. Now think about this. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You know, what? He's saying, you know, you, you can't really even know who Jesus is. No one really knows the depth of the incarnate Son of God, fully God and fully man, except the Father. And no one really knows God the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So what is that telling us? First of all, babes, it is the humble 
who received, but secondly, gratitude. Because what is he saying? You could not know God if Jesus did not choose to reveal him to you. This, is, this should produce a tremendous humility and gratitude. You know what? I could be another proud, arrogant Kruger. Praise God, my dad humbled himself before he died. <laughs> 90 years old, hallelujah. <laughs> but I, you know what I mean? We just, you know, Krugers just think, you know, we're pretty stubborn. <laughs> hallelujah, right. It, it's, there's a mystery here, right? Because we're responsible before God, but he says, no one knows the Father except the Son and to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so the fact that we can know Jesus Christ, there's a humility, become like a babe, but there is just a, oh, Lord, thank you, God. And it's, I just, that, that just, that verse captures me, as I said, because it's like, Lord, would you just continue to reveal the Father to us? Would you continue to open our spirits? God, open our souls to know God. And not just from what we've heard from somebody else, right? To know God for yourself. And the response is grateful joy. So what's he saying? What, 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 you know, sometimes I used to drive my, um, my theology, Theo 1 classes at North Central crazy. I'd say, what's the minimum that someone must know and believe to be a Christian? So you watch the pastoral majors, and they had it all wrapped up neat in a box. They had the missions majors going, I don't know about that. Maybe, you know, like maybe just this much or that, you know. And they're debating, you know, what do you really have to know, right? Well, I don't know, you know, knowledge, you got to know something, right? But what are we learning here? You have to have humility, gratitude, and hunger to know God. Right? Humility, gratitude, and hunger to know God. Yeah, we need some information. You should hear the gospel, of course, right? But if you want to know God, you've got to have humility and hunger and gratitude for what you're receiving. It's a, you know, how can people be in the same room and hear the same thing and one believes and one does not? It's the condition of your heart. So even believer, would you maintain the condition of your heart? Humility and gratitude, hunger for the truth of God the reality of God, and we'll grow as we do that, right? Reflect on this verse. So the first message, of course, you humbly receive forgiveness and you're saved. Anybody can do this. It is wide open. So you think of Jesus' context, but think of our context as well. It is the proud and self-righteous who think they have no need that experience a horrific judgment. That's the centrality of the gospel. But, but here's the sobering part. Back to verse 16. And this is the other verse that really gripped me this week. He who listens to you listens to me. What? <laughs> me? He who listens to you listens to me. And this is the scary part. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me, the Father. That is sobering. So I want to make darn sure that there's nothing in me other than the gospel that causes anyone to reject Christ. Right? It is a call, it's beyond the call to holiness, right? This is like, Lord, make me the person who is so gracious we're given a sobering authority here. We are ambassadors of heaven 
And there are people in your life that if they reject you, that may be their primary opportunity for the gospel. So that calls us to be ambassadors in the best sense of the word. It means love, right? We seek to present our lives, our church, the community of Christ as a community of love with love covering sin. Lord, help us to live it. This is where, you know, some people get disturbed by elections. I don't care if the people I like win or lose. I mean, I, you know what I mean? There's advantages. But we are involved in something so much bigger, so much more lasting. Oh, God, I pray you see it, the kingdom of God. No side issues. The sober authority of this makes me tremble. Yeah, I want to walk alongside every weakness until that, that weakness is healed and that believer can walk in a way that is attractive to the gospel, right? To walk along every need, every, every brokenness in our heart. Uh, I'm not sure if I understood BC correctly, but uh, possibly this is a factor. Uh, I know I, we, it's sojourn. We have many, many people. We've been their last stop before giving up on Christ because of the wounding they've experienced in the body of Christ. Trying to do the right thing and being wounded. We need to be a healing community. You need to tell the truth, right? I mean, it's not like you soften the truth. But love and truth. To speak the truth in love until the doubters believe. Right? I sang an old song, one of my, oh, it's just, I thought Tassana was here. She's not here. Okay. Maybe she's downstairs. Oh, okay. Yeah. So for her, she likes, my girl sometimes like when I sing these old Jesus rock songs back from the 70s, 80s, you know. And so, so for her birthday, uh, Kathy and I sang uh, an old song about, I'm going to weep. Some of you know it. If I was a singer, Steve Camp and Larry Norman. Anyway, co-wrote it. You know, if I was a singer, I'll sing my song for you, and it goes on and on. But I'll sing it to the faithless ones receive it, to the children of your wayward church believe it. We just have a simple message. But we walk alongside wounded people until they can walk. Take hold of your authority in Christ. Be bold. We have good news. There's hope for anybody. If my dad gets saved, anybody could. <laughs> There's hope for the most wounded in the body of Christ. But it's us. It's us coming alongside. You know, you're going to have to stand up, Keith. Sorry. Coming alongside. You're an illustration. <laughs> and you're walking along. And you're like, bro, you can do it. You doing okay? A little stumbling. Okay, here we go. Ephesians 5. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Galatians 3, right? Until they're walking. Amen? Thank you. Give my hand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right? I didn't warn him about that. I didn't think of it earlier. That's right. Second aspect Jesus teaches is the centrality and sobriety of the gospel. One final aspect that Jesus teaches that we'll look at today, the sympathy of the gospel. Now read, you know what, verse 25, the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, to understand that's his motive. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? 
Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yep, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. <clears throat> but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, uh, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to the inn, took care of him. Next day, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any ex extra expenses you may have. Now the quiz question, right? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, uh, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do a likewise. Boom. All right, let's bring out a few things that you may or may not, you know the story. Now, in our mind, the Samaritan's the good guy, right? You've heard this so much. They now have even like tra trailer travel clubs, Good Sam, it's Good Samaritan, right? Like Samaritans are the good guys in our culture now. We're so familiar with this story. Um, do this and you will live, verse 20. He's not talking about salvation by works, but the grace that's embedded in the passage, right? You know, hear Jesus in his call, receive, fall, right? But who is my neighbor? That was actually a Jewish discussion. So if you've ever read any of the Apocrypha, you've heard of the wisdom of Jesus, Ben Sirach, right? In that book, chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, it says not to help a sinner. Okay, so parts of the Apocrypha actually teach don't help sinners. And this guy is, I don't know how your translation says it, but he's really an expert in the law, Torah. He's a Torah expert, right? And so he knows this. So this is a, you know, kind of an intramural debate within the Jews. And uh, uh, he says, uh, you know, who's my neighbor? So he wants to trap Jesus because he knows about this and he knows Jesus probably knows. We're going to see how much Jesus really knows, right? Well, Jesus, what you have to recognize in the passage is Jesus is doing what I call a judo move. The lawyer tries to trap him so then he's going to trap the lawyer. And some of us don't get it, but there's a trap going on here, all right? So here, here it is. He, he says, you know, first the priest and the Levite. Well, what you have to understand in the original culture here, in the first century culture, is that the priest and the Levite, they are, we'd say loosely, in bed with the Romans. In other words, they are highly, highly compromised people, even among the Jews. And they are, you know, they're involved with the Roman government. And why? Because they think the kingdom of God is a physical Israel. So in their mind, they're compromised with the Romans because they think they're fighting for the survival of the kingdom of God by fighting for a certain government. But the Torah scholar, by the nature of his question, we're virtually certain is a Pharisee. So in other words, he agrees with Jesus that the, yeah, a priest would walk by, yeah, probably, right? This is a trap, right? He's telling a story. And the, you know, the, the Torah scholar is going, yeah, just like a priest, exactly what I'd expect. Yeah, walks by, doesn't really care, 
right? The Levite, yeah, those Levites, yep, they're really, you know, that's the kind of thing they do. He's nodding his head going, yeah, like good story, man. I like this, right? He's agreeing with him, right? And then the Samaritan, wait, 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 Samaritan? I don't know quite how to, we have a diverse group here, so I don't know quite how to bring the original shock. Maybe we could change it to the African-American Mormon secret polygamist had mercy. Or, or maybe the lesbian feminist had mercy. I, you know, I don't know how to make this, I don't know how to help you hear the parable like the, like the lawyer heard it. Right? It's like the last person you would think, you know, you know the neo-Nazi stopped and, you know, right? The neo-Nazi, but, you know, they're evil, right? That, that's, that's what's going on here, right? Is, is, is he's picking someone that is going to shock the lawyer, right? Not our connotation of Samaritan. They're really good people, right? You know, no, no, right? It's, it's, this is, it's, it's, it's arresting to them because the Samaritan is racially inferior because they intermarried and they weren't supposed to do that. And he's spiritually inferior because they don't have the law in the pure form that the Jews did. So what is Jesus doing? He's confronting spiritual pride and racial prejudice. I'm better than, and this person is less than, but especially he's just limiting, trying to limit his neighbor. I mean, really. Jesus doesn't mean we're supposed to love everyone, does he? I mean, not really. That was just a symbol, right? No, it's, it's too much to care. And so we, we find a way to tame the passage. And I get it. There's just too many needs, right? But Jesus is not saying, you know, meet the needs of any person you see advertised on television, right? That is overwhelming. But he's saying, attend to the person right in front of you, right? You know, I, I don't know who you think. If I think of Mother Teresa, right, you know, worldwide organization eventually. But the point was making disciples who look at each person they see as a human being, as a full human being with an eternal soul. So that even if they were a dying person in Calcutta lying on the streets, they would help them into a bed so they could die with dignity. You see what I'm saying? It's like seeing every person as a full human being. That's the call to love my neighbor not to dismiss them by categorizing them. Start with what's in front of you. And you know, demonstrate humility by including the margins of your circle of relationship. Think about this. If each of us brings the love of Christ to the margins of our relationships, our network, pretty soon everybody who really wants Jesus has Jesus. It doesn't take that long for, in a given community. Because again, those that don't want him, we're not trying to force anything on anybody. Right? But if we're willing to go to the edges, you know, Laura's helping us go to the edges of the immigrant population. Others are helping us go to the edges of the international student population. But as we're just simply loving people on the edges of our circle of relationship, presenting a simple gospel, Right? That's what he's asking of us. Not asking an impossible burden. 
So the third aspect Jesus teaches is the sympathy of the gospel. If I was doing a nice, neat sermon, I'd stop now, but I did for this, my morning devotions. I realized there's one more narrative in chapter 10. So just look at it briefly. It's not on the PowerPoint. Sorry, Amy. I gave her no warning. She makes these nice PowerPoints. It's a story that's only here and nowhere else in the other gospels. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Anybody ever felt like Martha? Oh, come on. I have 10 kids. I feel like Martha all the time. Come on, get, come on, get, get, help your mother, your stepmother. Yeah, okay. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Fascinating. What's he saying? We need service and contemplation, both. Right? He doesn't say that Martha's doing the wrong thing. He says, just don't worry about somebody else's business. Right? And that choice for contemplation should be treasured. Because our life is a mixture of service poured out, of course, but then resting at the feet of Jesus, considering the gospel and being recharged in our service. And so it's a constant challenge. Those of us that are parents like me, it's a constant challenge to help the kids that are naturally one way or the other to get both skills, (laughs) right? (laughs) To be able to wait at the feet of Jesus, absolutely, but to indeed help out around the house. And that's that's a constant thing. But Jesus, it's interesting in this passage that Jesus recognizes and Luke includes this narrative that affirms the need to wait at the feet of Jesus. So of all the things we said this morning, the world's in great chaos. The church has one answer to fear, mistrust, animosity, prejudice, and it is the gospel. I want to encourage you this morning, the simplicity of what we have. Anybody, anybody, whatever their spiritual background, semi-Christian, sort of new age, Buddhist, whatever, if they will simply trust and receive Jesus Christ, God's going to birth new life and refreshment. They can be as rough cut as they come. They can be really slick, whatever. But if they will humble themselves, it's a simple message. That's our message. But it's a sober message because everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone needs the gospel. And they receive that or perish. Which calls us not out of legalism, guilt, or drivenness, but to say, Lord, help me be the most whole representative of, your, of, your, of the faith, of your goodness that I can. Help me to, you know, have humility and grace. And the s- sympathy of the gospel that all are accepted in Christ. Black, white, rich, poor, cool, geeky, dysfunctional. <laughs> right? It really is a sociological challenge in this sense. Will we, the church, 
receive everyone that God brings to us, the stranger, the awkward, those in need. Can we, can we love in that way? Stand with me. Let's pray a little bit. So a couple questions. First of all, just, just to be sure of this, I ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. The gospel is simple. And we, we want to make sure that everybody who is a part of Sojourn, guest of Sojourn, has an opportunity to affirm their need for God, their need for forgiveness, and to receive that new life. BC mentioned Ezekiel 36, that God's spirit will live within you. And so I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your head, and, and you know, if you need that forgiveness and new life, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you, okay? So, Lord, we ask, open our, as we open our souls before you, we pray for the power of the gospel. Some may need a little refreshment in that. The power of the gospel, forgiveness and new life. So, Father, in Jesus' name, just pour out your spirit. Every man, woman, and child in this place, the power of the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. If that's a need for you, just raise your hand right now. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than that. Yeah. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, strengthen us in the power of the Holy Spirit to live for you, O oh God. Just continue in a place of prayer, but a second question. Just a simple question. Just... Is God stirring you in some way that you want to bookmark, you want to remember? God's speaking to you about something this morning. You just want to bookmark. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward at this time, but just raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. There's something happening in your spirit right now. Yeah, okay, all right, yeah. Okay, Lord, as you're moving and speaking in hearts right now, we ask that you would just help us to remember what you're building in our souls right now what you're wanting us to hang on to. Father, I pray for every single one of us that the simplicity of the gospel, that we would not make it hard, but that we'd recognize the soberness of what we have before you, that we have an opportunity to help people into an eternal relationship with you. Fill our souls, O oh God, that we would just treasure what we have and treasure the opportunity to to help others to see the truth in these days. Father, thank you that we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, but everything else can be. So Father, as you shake everything else, we pray help us to continue to be able to present the gospel with freedom and wisdom, power, to see many welcomed into the kingdom. I believe these are days of awakening, days of hunger, days of where many are going to come to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name that you continue to stir and bless. Bless uh, those here that are in the midst of career and trying to position themselves to be fruitful in you and figuring that out, Lord, bring special blessing on that in the, in the workplace. Those that are in the midst of family, as Lisa expressed, and the busyness of that and just trying to figure out the next load of laundry, uh, we pray in Jesus' name, your blessing on family, oh God. 
there would be, uh, just pray the blessing on uh, parent and child relationships, Lord. There'd be a blessing on that, oh God. Father, where there may be struggles with sins that we're embarrassed about, uh, whether pornography, things like that, we ask for uh, trusted friends and a breaking of addiction, oh God, that we could come into freedom and grace, oh God. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Father. So Father, I thank you for this people here this morning, physically and online. We ask that the blessing of your Holy Spirit the refreshing of the Holy Spirit would flow all over this sanctuary and those that are in various places around the Twin Cities and wherever they may be. We pray for the refreshing of your Holy Spirit. I pray for the strengthening of the Word of God in our souls, O God. We pray for the grace of, of humble relationship with one another that could bring life and encouragement and goodness. And we thank you for that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you.